Try Jupiter Organic CBD. It helps relax your mind and body for better and deeper sleep. Jupiter Organic CBD is designed to work like an off button for your daily stress. And no, you will not get high, maybe in your dreams. You can try Jupiter by going to getjupiter.com and using promo code ASMR for 10% off. That's getjupiter.com, promo code ASMR, and enjoy a 10% discount. Hello, my darling, and thank you for joining me for our newest story. I am very excited to begin this one and have long been fascinated by the Peter Pan universe. It's a beautiful story of adventure and it makes the perfect narrative to give you very vivid dreams if you happen to drift off while I'm reading to you. And don't worry, this will be another long, multi-part story, so you'll have plenty of opportunities to listen and to fall asleep again and again. A special thank you goes out to Mackenzie for selecting Peter Pan as our next adventure. Mackenzie, you'll find that your name has been added in as a replacement for Mrs. Darling, and it should give you a few extra tingles along the way. For my other darlings out there, you can show your support for me by liking, commenting, and subscribing. And if you reach out to me with a favorite fairy tale or classic like we're about to read today, I'll work your name into future readings as well. Now please lay back, relax, and let all of your worries drift away. Like Peter Pan, you have nothing so pressing nothing to worry about. You only need to close your eyes and listen as I read to you. Today's story is Peter Pan by J.M. Barry, written in 1904. Chapter 1. Peter Breaks Through. All children, except one, grow up. They soon know that they will grow up, and the way Wendy knew was this. One day, when she was two years old, she was playing in a garden, and she plucked another flower and ran with it to her mother. I suppose she must have looked rather delightful for Mackenzie Darling, Put her hand to her heart and she cried. Oh, how I wish you would remain just like this forever. This was all that passed between them on the subject, but henceforth, Wendy knew that she must grow up. You always know after you are two. Two is the beginning of the end. Of course, they lived at fourteen their house number on the street, and until Wendy came, her mother was the chief one. She was a lovely lady with a romantic mind 
and incredible wit. Her mind was like the tiny boxes, one within the other, that come from the puzzling east. However many you discover, there is always one more inside, and she would always leave one kiss on the box that Wendy could never get to, though there it was, perfectly conspicuous in the right-hand corner. The way Mr. Darling won her was this. The many gentlemen who had been boys when she was a girl discovered simultaneously that they loved her, and they all ran to her house to propose, except for Mr. Darling. He took a cab and nipped in first, so he got to her. He got all of her except the innermost box and a kiss. He never knew about the box, and in time he gave up trying for the kiss. Mr. Darling used to boast to Wendy that her mother not only loved him, but respected him. He was one of those deep men who knew about stocks and shares. Of course, no one really knows, but he seemed to know and he often said stocks were up and shares were down in a way that would make any woman respect him. Mackenzie Darling was married in white, and at first she kept the books perfectly, almost gleefully, as if it were a game. Not so much as a Brussels sprout was missing, but by and by, whole cauliflowers dropped out, and instead of them, there were pictures of babies without faces. She drew them when she should have been working. They were Mackenzie Darling's guesses. Wendy came first, then John, then Michael. When Wendy came, it was doubtful whether they would be able to keep her, as she was another mouth to feed. Mr. Darling was frightfully proud of her, but he was very honorable and he sat on the edge of Mackenzie Darling's bed, holding her hand and calculating expenses while she looked at him imploringly. She wanted to risk it, come what might, but that was not his way. His way was with a pencil and a piece of paper, and if she confused him with suggestions, he had to begin all over again. Now don't interrupt, please, he would beg of her. I have one pound seventeen here, and two and six at the office. I can cut off my coffee at my office. That's ten shillings. Make two nine and six with your eighteen, and three makes three nine seven, with five not, but not in my checkbook. Makes eight nine seven. Who is that moving? Eight nine seven dot. Carry the seven. Don't speak, my dear. My own. And the pound you lent to that man who came to the door. Quiet child, dot. And carry child there. We've done it. Did I say nine, nine, seven? Yes, I said nine, nine, seven. The question is, can we try it for a year on just nine, nine, seven? Of course we can, George, Mackenzie cried. She was prejudiced in Wendy's favor, and he was really the grander character of the two. 
Remember mumps, he warned her, almost threateningly. And off he went again. Mumps one pound. That is what I have put down. But I dare say it'll be more like 30 shillings. Now don't speak, don't confuse me. Measles one five. German measles half a guinea. Makes two fifteen six. Now don't waggle your finger at me. Whooping cough. That's another fifteen shillings. And so on it went. And it added up differently every time. But at last, Wendy just got through. With mumps reduced only twelve six. And two different kinds of measles. Treated as one by the same doctor. There was the same excitement over John, and Michael had even a narrower squeak, but both were kept, and soon you might have seen the three of them going in a row to Miss Folsom's kindergarten school, accompanied by their nurse. Mackenzie Darling loved to have everything just so, and Mr. Darling had a passion for being exactly like his neighbors, so, of course, they had a nurse. As they were very poor, owing to the amount of milk the children drank, this nurse was a prim Newfoundland dog called Nana, who would belong to no one in particular until the darlings found her. She'd always thought children important, however, and the darlings had become acquainted with her in Kensington Gardens, where she spent most of her spare time peeping into ambulators, and was much hated by careless nursemaids, whom she followed to their homes and complained of to their mistresses. She proved to be quite a treasure of a nurse, how thorough she was at bath time, and up at any moment of the night if one of her charges made even the slightest cry. Of course, her kennel was in the nursery, she had a genius for knowing when a cough was a thing to have no patience with, and when it needs stalking around your throat. She believed to her last day in old-fashioned remedies like rhubarb leaf, and made sounds of contempt over all of this newfangled talk about germs, and so on. It was a lesson in propriety to see her escorting the children to school, walking sedately by their side, when they were well-behaved, and butting them back in line if they strayed. On John's football days, he never once forgot his sweater, and she usually carried an umbrella in her mouth in case of rain. There is a room in the basement of Miss Folsom's school where the nurses wait. They sat on forms while Nana would lay on the floor, but that was the only difference. They affected to ignore her as of an inferior social status to themselves, and she despised their light talk. She resented visits to the nursery from Mackenzie Darling's friends, but if they did come, she first whipped off Michael's pinafore and put him into one with blue braiding, and she smoothed out Wendy and made a dash at John's hair. No nursery could possibly have been conducted more correctly, and Mr. Darling knew it. Yet he sometimes wondered, uneasily, whether the neighbors talked about the poor family with a nurse that was a dog. He did have his position in the city to consider, 
after all. Nana also troubled him in another way. He had sometimes a feeling that she did not admire him. I know she admires you tremendously, George, Mackenzie Darling would assure him. And then she would sign to the children to be especially nice to their father that day. Lovely dances followed, in which the only other servant of the family, Liza, was sometimes allowed to join. Such a midget she looked in her long skirt and maid's cap, though she had sworn, when asked, that she would never see ten again. The gaiety of her romps, and happiest of all, was Mackenzie Darling, who would pirouette so wildly that all you could see of her was her smile, and then, if you had dashed at her, she might have kissed you on the cheek. There never was a simpler, happier family until the coming of Peter Pan. Mackenzie Darling first heard of Peter when she was tidying up her children's minds. It is the nightly custom of every good mother, after her children are asleep, to rummage in their minds and put things straight for the next morning, repacking into their proper places the many articles that have wandered through them during the day. If you could keep awake, but of course you can't, you would see your own mother doing this, and you would find it very interesting to watch her. It is quite like tidying up drawers and rooms. You would see her on her knees, I expect, lingering humorously over some of your contents, wondering where on earth you would pick this thing up, making discoveries, sweet and not so sweet, pressing this to her cheek, as if it were as nice and soft as a kitten, and hurriedly stowing it out of sight. When you wake in the morning, the naughtiness and evil passions with which you went to bed have all been folded up small and placed at the back of your mind, and on the top, beautifully aired, are spread out your prettier thoughts, ready for you to put on to have a lovely day. I don't know whether you have ever seen a map of a person's mind. Doctors sometimes draw maps of other parts of you, and your own map can become interesting and intensely intricate. But catch them trying to draw a map of a child's mind, which is not only confusing, but keeps going round and round all the time. There are zigzag lines just like your temperature have charted on a card. And these are probably roads on the island. For the Neverland is always more or less an island, with astonishing splashes of color here and there, and coral reefs and rakish-looking craft in the offing, and savages and lonely lairs and gnomes, or mostly tailors and caves through which a river runs, and princes with elder brothers, and a hut fast going to decay, and one very small old lady with a crooked nose. It would be a very easy map if that were all, but there is also first day at school, religion, fathers, 
ponds, needlework, murders, hangings, animals, chocolate pudding day, getting into braces, saying the words 99, three pence for pulling out the tooth yourself, and so on. And either these thoughts are all part of the island, or they are another map entirely that shows through. And this, of course, is all rather confusing, especially as nothing in a child's mind will stand still. Of course, the Neverlands vary a great deal. John's, for instance, had a large lagoon with flamingos flying over it, at which John would shoot them, while Michael, who was very small, instead had a large flamingo with lagoons flying over it. John lived in a boat turned upside down on the sands, Michael in a wigwam, Wendy in a house of leaves deftly sewn together. John had no friends, Michael had friends at night, Wendy had a pet wolf forsaken by its parents. But on the whole, the Neverlands have a family resemblance, and if they stood still in a row, you could say of them that they each have each other's nose, and so forth. On these magic shores, children play, and they are forever in the coracles. We too have been there. We can still hear the sound of the surf, though as adults, we can never go to Neverland again. Of all delectable islands, the Neverland is the snuggest and most compact. Not large, not with tedious distances between one adventure to another, but nicely crammed together. When you play at it by day with the chairs and tablecloth, it is not in the least alarming. But in the two minutes before you go to sleep, it can become very real. That is why there are nightlights. Occasionally in her travels through her children's minds, Mackenzie Darling found things she could not understand. And of these, quite the most perplexing was the word Peter. She knew of no Peter, and yet here he was, in John and Michael's minds, while Wendy's was scrawled all over with the name. The name stood out in bolder letters than any of the other words. And as Mackenzie Darling gazed into her children's minds, she felt that it was an odd appearance. He seems rather cocky, Wendy once admitted with regret when her mother had been questioning her. But who is he, my pet? He is Peter Pan, you know, mother. At first, Mackenzie Darling did not know, but after thinking back into her childhood, she remembered a Peter Pan who she thought lived with fairies. There were odd stories about him, as that when children died, he went part of the way with them, so that they should not be frightened. She had believed in him at the time, but now that she was married and full of sense, she quite doubted that there was any 
such a person. Besides, she said to Wendy, he'll be grown up by this time. Oh no, mother, he isn't grown up at all, Wendy assured her confidently. And he's just my size. She meant that he was her size in both mind and body. She didn't know how she knew this, but she knew what her daughter meant. Mackenzie Darling consulted Mr. Darling, but he smiled and frowned, and he said, Mark my words, this is nonsense. Nana has put this into her heads. It's just the sort of idea a dog would have. Leave it alone now, and it'll blow over. But it would not blow over, and soon the troublesome boy gave Mackenzie Darling quite a shock. Children have the strangest adventures without being troubled by them. For instance, they may remember to mention a week after the event happened that when they were in the wood, they had met their dead father and had a game with him. It was in this casual way that Wendy, one morning, made a disquieting revelation. Some leaves of a tree had been found on the nursery floor, which certainly were not there when the children went to bed, and Mackenzie Darling was puzzling over them. When Wendy said to her, with a tolerant smile, I think it was Peter again. Whatever do you mean, Wendy? It is so naughty of him not to wipe his feet, Wendy said with a laugh. She was a tidy child. She explained in quite a matter-of-fact way that she thought Peter sometimes came to the nursery in the night and would sit at the foot of her bed and he would play his pipes to her. Unfortunately, she never woke, so she didn't know how she knew. She just knew he was there. What nonsense you talk, my pet. No one can get into this house without knocking. He doesn't knock, mother. He comes in through the window, Wendy said. But my love, we are three floors up. Were not the leaves at the foot of the window, mother? It was quite true. The leaves had been found very near the window. Mackenzie Darling did not know what to think, for it all seemed so natural to Wendy that you could not dismiss it by saying she had merely been dreaming. My child, she said, why did you not tell me about this before? I forgot, said Wendy lightly. Isn't it time for breakfast, mother? Mackenzie Darling stared at her child thought. Surely she must have been dreaming. But on the other hand, there were the leaves. Mackenzie Darling examined them very carefully. They were skeleton leaves, but she was sure they did not come from any tree that grew in England. She crawled about the floor, peering at it with a candle for marks or strange footprints. She rattled the poker up the chimney and tapped on the walls. She let down a tape from the window to the pavement 
and checked that for sure it was a sheer drop of thirty feet, and no such as a spout to climb up by. Certainly, Wendy had been dreaming. But Wendy had not been dreaming, as the very next night showed the night on which the extraordinary adventures of these children are said to have begun. On the night we speak of, all the children were once in bed. It happened to be Nana's evening off, and Mackenzie Darling had bathed them and sung to them, till one by one they had let go her hand and slid away into the land of sleep. All her children were looking so safe and cozy that she smiled at her fears and sat down tranquilly by the fire to sew. She was making something for Michael, who, on his birthday, was getting into new shirts. The fire was warm, however, and the nursery dimly lit by three nightlights and presently the sewing lay on Mackenzie Darling's lap. Then her head nodded, oh so gracefully, and she fell asleep. Look at the four of them, Wendy and Michael over there, John here, and Mackenzie Darling by the fire. There should have been a fourth nightlight. While she slept, she had a dream she dreamt that the Neverland had come too near, and that a strange boy had broken through from it. He did not alarm her, for she thought she had seen him before in the faces of many women who have no children. Perhaps he is to be found in the faces of some mothers also, but in her dream he had read the film that obscures the Neverland and she saw Wendy and John and Michael peering through the gap. The dream by itself would have been a trifle, but while she was dreaming, the window of the nursery blew open and a boy dropped from the window to the floor. He was accompanied by a strange light, no bigger than your fist, which darted about the room like a living thing and I think it must have been this light that wakened Mackenzie Darling. She awoke with a startled cry and saw the boy, and somehow she knew at once that he was Peter Pan. If you or I or Wendy had been there, we should have seen that he was very like Mackenzie Darling's smile. He was a lovely boy, clad in skeleton leaves, and the moss and the juices that ooze out of trees. The most entrancing thing about him, though, was that he had all of his first teeth. When he saw she was a grown-up, he gnashed the little pearls at her and gave a long, long laugh. <laughs>